All right, let us uh, begin with prayer this evening. Let's uh, ask God's blessing upon our study together. Our glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, Thou art one, and we come unto Thee. For Thy blessing, we thank Thee, our holy God, that Thou art present with us. Thy Spirit has been given unto us by the Lord Jesus. And the Spirit's presence with us is the Son's presence with us, for he has sent him to represent him. We ask our God that thou would teach and instruct us from thy word today. Uh, help us, our Lord, to be uh, good students, uh, to receive thy word in faith and understanding. And Lord, we do plead with thee that uh, thy word would not merely be received intellectually, but that, Lord, it would be received uh, by faith and practically exercised and practiced in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to John chapter 14. And I'll begin reading at verse 12. We'll read through verse 18, John 14, 12 through 18. The study itself covers tonight verses 16 through 18. That will include uh, some of what we read in the previous study. Pick up the context. So once again, John 14, 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So this chapter is about comforting the disciples as Jesus has announced that he is going to be departing from them, that bodily he will not any longer be with them. This is going to be a very difficult time and this is the, just the night before he is betrayed the day before he is crucified, that all this time is spent talking about his departure. And verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus again makes it very clear, let not your heart be troubled. So again, these are, these are all intended to comfort the disciples. 
because the Lord Jesus is departing. We can, we can understand, uh, again, someone that close to us, someone that we had spent that much time with, uh, one that we had observed perform such miracles, um, one who had taught the words of life to us, who had lived the words of life, the Son of God, the one who created everything, they knew personally. Uh, they saw visibly. Uh, they, they ate and drank with him. And now he says, I'm leaving. Uh, again, that, that just, it's hard for us perhaps where we are in history to put ourselves back into that, at that time and to try to understand how the disciples must have felt. But uh, the Lord is comforting them with many promises. We looked at last time that the Lord promised that he would give to them uh, the power to perform certain mighty works, which he, when he ascends into heaven, that he would grant to them that power. That would, that would again uh, remind them that Jesus was with them, that he had not forsaken them because they were able to perform these mighty works. He also comforts them uh, with the with the promise that uh, their prayers will be answered when they pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and to pray according to his will when he says in verses 13 and 14 and whatsoever ye ask in my name that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son if ye ask anything in my name I will do it this is not a blank check uh, whatever came to their minds whatever they I could even selfishly desire that Jesus would grant that. No, um, uh, this is praying according to the will of God, as John says in 1 John 5, 14 through 15. If you ask anything in my name according to my will, uh, then uh, the Father will give it to the Son. So uh, we need to, again, compare Scripture with Scripture. And then we come to verse 15, which is still review from last week. If you love me, keep my commandments. We might ask, uh, what is the connection between asking in the name of Christ and uh, the Father giving to the disciples the things that they ask for in accordance with his will and then love and keeping God's commandments. What's the connection between if you love me, keep my commandments with what he has just said. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Well, let me suggest to you that asking anything in Christ's name ought to be always out of love for Christ. Whatever we ask, that we should ask it first and foremost out of our love for Christ. In other words, when we ask something, whether it's a need or whatever it may be, there's nothing wrong with asking that for which we have need of, but we ought to be asking even that which we have need of uh, out of love for Christ, that Christ would be glorified out of love for him, that he would be exalted and that, uh, and that in so doing, we would, even in our asking, be keeping the commandments of God. 
not breaking God's commandments by way of selfish, self-centered, vainglorious types of uh, prayers that's simply all about ourselves. That's not the kind of praying that the Lord uh, calls us here to do. I, I, again, submit to you that that the asking anything in my name and Christ promising to do it is qualified by, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so, again, uh, we can't be uh, asking uh, for things apart from our love for Christ, our love for Christ to act, to, to reveal his glory, uh, even in meeting needs, as we said. Prayer is about exalting Jesus, even when we're asking for his wisdom, asking for his forgiveness, asking for his protection, asking for his healing, asking for God to provide work for us. It's still about, from our heart, we want Jesus to be glorified. We want to show, even in our asking, that we love the Lord Jesus. And we want to keep his commandments in so doing. So now we come to verse 16. And here we come to another promise that the Lord gives to his disciples by way of comfort. We talked about the miracles that the Lord promised. talked about praying in the name of Christ and the Lord answering those prayers that are according to his will. Now, here's another promise, and it has to do with the Holy Spirit. Much of the Gospel of John up to this point, we might say, has focused upon the Father and the Son within the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. There have been certainly references in the first uh, 14 or 13 chapters to the Holy Spirit, but in Chapters 14, 15, and 16, the matter of the Holy Spirit and his ministry is very much uh, a part of those chapters and what Jesus is leaving by way of promise to his disciples that he is giving unto his disciples the Holy Spirit. And so that's what the, the next section is dealing with is with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Here he promises, notice, another comforter. Another comforter. Um, and the word another in, in the Greek um, can refer either, depending upon the word, the Greek word that is used, another of the same kind or another of a different kind. Uh, the word that's used here is the Greek word alas, which is another of the same kind. So the the Lord Jesus is promising to send a, another comforter like himself. Like himself. And another comforter to be near his disciples, 
another comforter to commune with his disciples, to help them, another comforter to instruct them, just as Jesus did all of those things as when he was with his disciples. So the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit really is the vicar of Christ. The Pope is not the vicar of Christ in place of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one whom Jesus has sent to be in his place. And that's what vicar means, in the place of. So the Holy Spirit is really the vicar of Christ, the in the place of Christ, not, not the Pope. Um, the papacy is... Uh, a, a false vicar um, uh, is antichrist, but the Holy Spirit is truly the one sent by the Lord Jesus to be in his place. Another comforter. So here we have all three persons of the Holy Trinity in verse 16. I will pray, that's the Son, the Father to the Father, so the Son and the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So again, the three persons of the, of the Holy Trinity, and one God eternally coexisting in these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God all having the, the same divine nature. <clears throat> Here the son prays, the father receives the prayer, and the Holy Spirit is the answer to the prayer who is sent as the comforter to his disciples. The Holy Spirit uh, is not... Uh, an impersonal force or power or influence. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses uh, teach again that the Holy Spirit is not a person but is uh, a force, an impersonal force, uh, an impersonal like the wind uh, or like electricity or, or something like that. It's impersonal. The Holy Spirit, in, according to them, blasphemously, uh, is not a person, uh, but is a force, a power, and influence. But the scripture here teaches that the Holy Spirit uh, is indeed another comforter. Is Jesus a person? Well, he's not sending uh, an imperson, a non-person, to be uh, his substitute here upon the earth. He's sending another person. He's sending the Holy Spirit to be the comforter. Another comforter to, uh, to be in his place, in the place of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> in the history of redemption, you know, as we began in the Old Testament and began to work our way uh, toward uh, 
the New Testament and the coming of Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross, there were certain events that had to happen before the Holy Spirit could be sent uh, in the place of the Lord Jesus as another comforter. Jesus had to come by way of the incarnation. Jesus had to live among men uh, perfectly, sinlessly, keep all of God's law. Jesus had to perform the miracles that he did. Uh, Jesus had to give the teaching that he did. He had to suffer by way of uh, his crucifixion, uh, bearing the sins of God's people upon the cross. Jesus had to be buried for three days. Jesus had to be raised from the dead. Jesus had to be be uh, enthroned. He needed to be uh, to ascend into heaven and be enthroned at the right hand of God. And then, after all of those events in in the life of Christ, then the Holy Spirit was sent to be another Comforter uh, in the place of the Lord Jesus. Not before. It's not that the Holy Spirit was not present and working in the lives of God's people in the Old Testament and uh, up until uh, Acts 2. Uh, clearly, the Holy Spirit was, was operative. No one could be born again, regenerated, apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, in fact, in John chapter 3, To Nicodemus, verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So being born of water and of the Spirit, that's not the water there, doesn't mean uh, the waters of baptism, does not mean uh, the water that is broken uh, when... A woman gives birth, uh, talking uh, about that type of water. No, I think that the uh, being born of water and of the Spirit is explained to us very clearly in Titus 3, verses 5 through 6, where it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. So it's not by our our works of righteousness, and it's not by our obedience, it's not because we are worthy in ourselves that we are saved. It says, Paul says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. Mercy is something we don't deserve. Mercy is freely given. But according to his mercy, he saved us. Now notice, here's the water. By the washing of regeneration, and here's the Spirit, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So being born of water and of the Spirit is basically being born by way of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, that's what Jesus means back in John chapter 3, verse 5. 
The Holy Spirit was, as we noted, uh, working in the Old Testament. He gave gifts, for example, uh, Bezalel, who worked on the tabernacle uh, and was given special gifts, workmanship, craftsmanship, to be able to construct all of the things, the furniture that we find mentioned in the, in the tabernacle says that the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him those gifts to be able to do that. Uh, in Numbers 11, uh, verse 17, speaks of the elders of Israel. Uh, the Spirit was upon them. The Spirit was working in them. Uh, and likewise with Joshua, in Numbers 27, 18, the Holy Spirit came upon Joshua, was within Joshua. Gideon, likewise, in Judges 6, 34, um, is, it speaks of the Holy Spirit working in his life. David says in Psalm 51, 12, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Uh, after David sinned, he was, uh, he was going through a time of doubt. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, uh, the matter of assurance of salvation on the Lord's Day. And uh, David was going through a time of questioning these matters because of his sin that he fell into with Bathsheba and an, an accomplice to the murder of her husband. And uh, he says, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, which implies that the Holy Spirit had been given to him. Uh, and uh, so the Holy Spirit, um, not that the Holy Spirit could be taken away from one to whom it was given, but that was kind of the wrestling and uh, that David was going through at that particular time as a result of his sin. And, but again, it implies the Holy Spirit had been given to him uh, as a part of his salvation. Uh, wisdom, it says in Proverbs one twenty three, pours forth the Spirit. Wisdom personified is really the Lord Jesus Christ. And pours forth the Holy Spirit upon those uh, whom he chooses. In Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 27, when Israel returns from captivity, it says that the Lord promises when they return from captivity, when they're back in their land, that he will give his spirit to be within his people. And uh, so again, uh, the working of God's spirit uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Micah 3.8, Micah speaks of uh, the Holy Spirit being upon him, working in him. Uh, and then in Luke 1.15, uh, Zacharias, um, uh, the angel Gabriel appears uh, to Zacharias and uh, says that John, his son, would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Uh, verses 41 and 67 uh, speaks of, again, the Holy Spirit working uh, in uh, Elizabeth, uh, John's mother, Mary. So again, all of these, all of these uh, references tell us before the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was very active in salvation, uh, in gifts that were given, was uh, within was a was also a um, 
a gift within, living within God's people. Um, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no life. Uh, there's only death. So the Holy Spirit must live within anyone who's saved uh, for them to be saved. So that, that again, uh, simply is what we see in the Old Testament. But here the whole... Uh, in John chapter 14, Lord Jesus promises, back to verse 16, promises that I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And, uh, and so this, this is a, a promise of the Holy Spirit in a, in a way that has not yet uh, been realized in the Old Testament or up to this point because the Lord Jesus has not, in the Old Testament, was not uh, incarnated, was not made flesh, but after the coming of the Lord Jesus, when he was incarnated, uh, the, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament, was active in the ministry of Christ, but there's a special sense when Jesus leaves bodily, departs bodily, that, that he sends the Holy Spirit as his substitute. He sends the Holy Spirit in his place. That the presence of Jesus is with us because the Holy Spirit is with us. Here the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. The word uh, Comforter uh, is translated in 1 John 2, 2 as Advocate. We have an Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous. If any man sin, it says in 1 John 2, 2, if any man sin, we have an advocate or comforter with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Uh, and an advocate uh, is a defense attorney. We don't call um, defense attorneys in our judicial system very often. Sometimes we do refer to them as advocates, but but not very often, but that's what an advocate is. It's a defense attorney. So Jesus Christ is our advocate in heaven. He's our comforter and our advocate in heaven. He says he's another, he's sending another comforter, namely the Holy Spirit, which implies he is himself the first comforter. He's himself the first advocate. And he advocates for us at the right hand of God. That the accusations that are brought against us by the enemy, uh, he is our defense attorney. Not pleading our righteousness, not pleading our goodness and our worthiness, but pleading his own. Saying, in effect, uh, Father, those accusations have no merit. This is a meritless charge because I already paid for those sins. And so he pleads himself as his righteousness, as our advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous. But he sends another advocate. 
and that is the Holy Spirit who dwells, who lives and dwells within us. And so we have an inward advocate, an inward comforter, the Holy Spirit, because we also have a conscience. Not only is that true in the courts of heaven, Jesus is an advocate there, but we also have an advocate in our own conscience. We have living within us, the Holy Spirit, who likewise bears testimony that we are the children of God and gives to us that grace to be able to say um, those charges that are brought against me are false charges or they are charges uh, that do not bring condemnation. Even if charges are brought against us in our conscience, which are true, nevertheless, um, if we are the children of God, they don't, those charges don't bring condemnation. They may bring conviction of sin, but there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. The enemy condemns, condemns us to hell inwardly. The Holy Spirit responds by way of that accusation of condemnation does not have merit. But to the contrary, uh, that accusation may or may not uh, be true as it relates to some sin we've committed. Sometimes we are accused of, of, of something that we did not do. Obviously, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, have any merit. But, but even when we are accused of something that we have done that's wrong, that's sinful, the Holy Spirit is there as our defense attorney, as our advocate, to plead the righteousness of Christ, which, again, uh, provides shelter for our conscience to flee to Christ as being our righteousness, to flee to him uh, to, and his intercession at God's right hand. And so he is our comforter, uh, and as a result of the Holy Spirit advocating for us, pleading the righteousness of Christ, uh, covering our conscience, reminding us, bearing testimony and witness within us so that we persevere in faith. As a result of his advocacy, there comes comfort. As a result of him being our advocate, he is our comforter. So those two are not um, disconnected or un, uh, unassociated one with the other. He is our advocate in pleading for us uh, Christ's righteousness, but he is also our comforter and brings that sweet and precious comfort that we are forgiven in Christ and uh, does send us to the Lord Jesus Christ and his mercy. Verse 17, Jesus continues uh, speaking about the Holy Spirit. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. 
but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So here the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. He's called our Comforter, our Advocate, and now the Spirit of Truth. Uh, because the Holy Spirit doesn't advocate and doesn't comfort us with um, lies, uh, he doesn't comfort us uh, with fairy tales, he comforts us with that which is true. He brings that which is absolutely true and bears witness in our own hearts and in, in, in our own uh, consciences. Uh, that Jesus Christ is sufficient. Uh, we can't add anything uh, to what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. There's no work that we can perform, no matter how many times we do it, that will add to what Jesus has already done. Nothing. And so... Uh, he always, the Holy Spirit, in comforting us and advocating for us as our defense attorney, always applies the truth. He is the spirit of truth. Contrary to the devil, uh, who is, according to John 8.44, the father of lies. The Holy Spirit leads us to assurance by way of the truth concerning Jesus Christ and what Jesus has accomplished for us. He doesn't just give us some kind of an emotional appeal that is uh, short-term, that is temporary, but, but he opens our minds, the Holy Spirit opens our minds to embrace a permanent solution to all of the, t the attacks and the accusations that are brought against us by the devil, and that is the truth. The truth will stand against all of the accusations. That's why it's so important, again, that we be filled with the truth. The more that we are filled with the truth, we, the more we have the mind of Christ. The more we have the mind of Christ, the more we are able to, to not be affected by those attacks and those accusations that come from the devil because we'll recognize that they're lies. We'll be able, again, to fall upon the truth. That's why the Holy Spirit continues to reveal the truth. He is the spirit of truth. He gives it to us the truth. He leads us in, and guides us into his truth. He convicts us. When he convicts us of, of sin uh, or error, it's because it's contrary to the truth. And he leads us then to the truth that is found in Jesus Christ and in the Bible. Now, in verse 17, we read, uh, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot. It does not say whom the world does not receive, but whom the world cannot receive. The world here refers to the, those that are spiritually dead, uh, those 
who are dead in their trespasses and sins that are not made alive uh, to God uh, through the, the Spirit of God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world cannot receive the Spirit of truth. The inability, the utter inability of, of the world to receive the Spirit of truth is the result of the world's blindness. Uh, we call it total depravity. That the world is dead. The world is spiritually blind. Uh, we were uh, right there. <laughs> all in Adam die, but all in Christ shall be made alive. Uh, we, uh, again, were conceived. We were born in Adam, in sin. Um, and until the Lord regenerated us, we were, we were dead. Uh, we, uh, here according to the words of Lord Jesus, we could not receive the spirit of truth uh, because uh, we were dead. And uh, that's why the world cannot receive the spirit of truth because it cannot spiritually receive what it does not spiritually see and does not spiritually know to be true. We can't receive what we don't see. Uh, if, if again, um, spiritually speaking, we must be able to spiritually see Christ before we receive Christ. We must be able to spiritually see the truth before we receive the truth. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit first, but uh, again, no one can receive the Spirit that is spiritually dead in the world. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the natural man is, the, is one who's dead in their trespasses and sins, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so, the, those that are considered to be wise and knowledgeable in this world can know many things about the world in which we live. But they cannot know with a true knowledge any of those things if they do not know them by means of the knowledge of God's Spirit. There is a common grace that God gives to even non-Christians to be able to understand certain things that are uh, in the world, certain mathematical, scientific, various things that, that God graciously, by way of common grace, allows even non-Christians to understand. But their knowledge 
of even those things is limited because they do not understand, they do not know the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives a full and complete knowledge because if they cannot glorify God, if, they, if, if what they know does not turn them to God to praise him and to, and to understand God's glory and God's greatness, God's knowledge, God's power and God's might, if it doesn't turn uh, those scientists and mathematicians and engineers, if it doesn't turn them to the living God then again, they, they have a mere worldly knowledge. Uh, their knowledge uh, is very, very limited indeed, though the world considers them to be uh, great scholars. And uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And uh, verses 19 through 21 talks about these types of people that, that are so worldly wise and worldly knowledgeable. 1 Corinthians 1, 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. With all of the knowledge that mathematicians, scientists, uh, doctors, uh, philosophers, all of their knowledge that they have, it has not brought them to see their need of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that is foolishness. With all the knowledge that they have, they have missed that which is most important. Their knowledge has actually become a matter of such pride to them that they will not humble themselves before the living God. <clears throat> but rather in, in Scripture, Proverbs 1.7 says, what's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God. Proverbs 9.10, what's the beginning of knowledge? True knowledge, the fear of God. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord that exercise loving kindness, righteousness, judgment in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And so again, boasting, 
about our knowledge, our wisdom, that does not lead us to Jesus Christ is foolishness. Because Colossians 2.3 says that all knowledge and wisdom is found where? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. The world can only go so far in its knowledge, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, gives a complete knowledge that returns all glory to God. So therefore, Christian mathematicians, Christian philosophers, Christian engineers, Christian scientists, they are able by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to understand what the non-Christian scientist philosopher cannot understand. Disciples of Christ, Jesus says, ye know him, verse 17, but ye know him, that is, ye know the spirit of truth, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. They know him because they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwells them. What then does Jesus mean when he says, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you? Was he not in them already? Well, I think that Jesus is simply emphasizing here, uh, and let, let me say, I do believe that they were indwelt uh, before the day of Pentecost by the Holy Spirit already. Uh, so this is not uh, a second work of grace uh, as if uh, uh, they uh, needed something else, they needed to do something else in order to have all of God's salvation uh, that was imparted to them. Uh, it is imparted to us uh, all at one time, um, and uh, we, we don't have this second, distinct, separate work of grace uh, called the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a second work of grace. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we are converted, when we come to Christ, that is all a part of that package of salvation. First uh, Corinthians 12.13 says, For with one spirit you are all baptized into one body. And so uh, when we were baptized with the spirit, uh, we came into the body of Jesus Christ. We became members at that time. And it, the tense of the verb, ye were all baptized. Not some of you were baptized into the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit, but ye were all baptized. This is, again universal for all Christians and it happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Galatians 3.2 likewise says concerning uh, the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is received by us. Uh, it's not a second work of grace but um, Paul says this only would I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. In other words, 
just as you were justified, just as you were forgiven, so you received the Holy Spirit by faith, by faith alone uh, at the same time. I think that when Lord Jesus says that he's with them, he dwells with you, and shall be in you, I think that he's talking about the Holy Spirit again being given to them in a, in a unique way because he, he's ascending to the right hand of God, he's leaving, he's departing them bodily, and he is sending the Holy Spirit as another comforter, as one to replace him here upon the earth. As we said, he is the vicar. He's the one who comes in place. And so I think that's what the Lord Jesus is emphasizing here. He's with you, but shall be in you as your advocate when I'm gone. I'm right now with you, but I'm going to be leaving, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit be in you, that inward advocate. I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father as your advocate, as your comforter, but he's going to be sent to you to be in you when I depart uh, to be your advocate. So though we are baptized with the Holy Spirit only once, uh, we are to be filled uh, with the Holy Spirit throughout our whole Christian life. Just, like, just as we are only justified and declared righteous by God one time, uh, we, don't, we aren't justified and declared righteous by God many times. It happens once and for all. Uh, that's all it takes um, for God to declare us righteous uh, is one time. Uh, and we are, however, sanctified. We are being changed, we are being transformed, we are growing in our sanctification and growth in Christ, being conformed to his image throughout our Christian life. So likewise, we are, filled with, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit once, but we are continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, in Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled continuously. That's the present tense. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, uh, uh, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled just as one who's drunk with wine is controlled by the wine. So Paul said, don't be controlled. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be drunk with wine and controlled by wine. Be controlled, filled with the Holy Spirit continuously throughout your Christian life. And then verse uh, 18. I will not leave you comfortless, Jesus says. I will come to you. So again, this is uh, for their encouragement. Uh, he's leaving. But he says, I won't leave you comfortless. Uh, literally, uh, I won't leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you as those uh, who are without comfort, encouragement, my presence. Jesus promises all of his disciples, that includes us, that we will not ever be left helpless, that we will never be left solitary, that we'll never be left friendless or orphans. 
He promises that. He will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. Whatever we're going through, no matter uh, how far the Lord may seem to our senses to be away from us, that's where we have to say, Satan is a liar. The Lord said he would never leave. He would never abandon. And that's where I'm going to stand is upon the promise of God. I'm not going to, why would I believe a liar to, to, uh, to tell me uh, that I've been abandoned, forsaken by the Lord Jesus? Uh, why would I believe a liar? Again, uh, liars are not trustworthy. Um, so again, we, we don't uh, rely upon uh, the temptations of the enemy who would want us to believe that we've been forsaken and abandoned. Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless like orphans. How we so need to be weaned like a child uh, from a mother's breast, how we need to be weaned from relying so heavily upon what we feel or sense and rather to rely upon what is revealed to us uh, as true by the Lord Jesus who cannot lie. Impossible for God to lie. Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. Notice, I will come to you. Literally, it's in the present tense when he says, it's this in the English translation, it sounds like it's a future tense. I will come to you. But literally, it's, it's in the uh, present tense. Uh, I am coming to you. I am coming to you. I, in fact, I am continuously, it's in the present tense, uh, I am continuously coming to you. Now and always, I'm coming to you. This is not a possibility that Jesus says, I am coming to you, always coming to you. This is not a possibility, it's not a probability, it's not even a near certainty, it's an absolute promise. It's an absolute certainty that Jesus is always coming to us. Not bodily, he's in heaven bodily. So how's he coming to us? Continuously, by his spirit. His spirit that indwells us. That is our advocate. That is our comforter. He is always coming unto us. In fact, if Jesus were here bodily, he would not do more for us than the Holy Spirit does for us now. You know, we, we tend to think, well, if only Jesus were here to be able to comfort or to, uh, to heal or to... Uh, instruct or to teach or whatever we you know believe Jesus needs to be here for uh, Jesus is here he's here in his substitute in the one he has sent in his place the Holy Spirit and so let's rejoice that Jesus is in fact with us he is with us he is in us. And I just leave you with this thought. In the Lord's Supper, the, a, a matter of uh, controversy 
has been uh, whether the, the real presence of Christ uh, is in the bread and the wine. And I would want to emphasize that, yes, the real presence of Christ is with us in the bread and the wine, not his bodily presence, but his spiritual presence with his, the Holy Spirit is with us as we partake of the bread and the wine in the Lord's Supper. It is a real presence, but it's a spiritual presence, which is not any less real than a bodily presence. The Holy Spirit is no less real to us by way of his presence than the bodily presence of Jesus when Jesus was here upon the earth. And so we need to again understand that's why doctrine is so important that you don't just uh, have your emotions fanned and, and, but you understand the truth because it's the truth that will carry you through whatever you're facing. It's not, it's not emotions that are going to carry us through. It's the truth. That is never going to change. And those promises will always be there. It's a matter of us simply clinging to the promises. They are there. They are ours. They are given to us as God's children. And so, as God's children, let us walk in our inheritance. Let us not, as children of the king, act as if we are paupers and beggars and, and poverty-stricken spiritually. We are children of the king who have this rich inheritance and uh, part of the richness of that inheritance, then perhaps the greatest part of the richness of that inheritance is that Jesus is with us by his spirit. Okay. Let's uh, stand and ask the Lord's concluding blessing upon his truth and his word. Our Lord, we thank thee for thy truth that uh, does guide and lead us uh, in dark times, does shine a light upon our path as a lamp into our feet. We praise thee, our God, that, uh, that uh, Jesus is with us, that the Holy Spirit has been sent as another comforter in his place, and that uh, we can find uh, in that the presence of the Holy Spirit, peace and, and comfort, and who is an inward advocate, pleading the righteousness of Christ within our consciences. We thank thee, Lord, for thy great love for us, for we deserve none of these blessings. They have all been freely given to us, freely purchased for us uh, by Jesus Christ. And we would rejoice and be thankful you know, even as we come to the conclusion of this time of study. In Jesus' name, amen.